Welcome to Honestly Haunted. Honestly Haunted. We're your hosts, Erin Grogan and Abby Chowning. This week, we're talking about a haunting in one of my favorite places on earth, Ireland. We've done some spooky Irish tales before, but this one might just take the cake. It's the self-proclaimed most haunted castle, Leap Castle, in Coolderry, Ireland. Leap Castle has a long and varied history. It was built around 1250 AD by the O'Bannon clan, but the O'Bannons were second chieftains under the rule of the O'Carroll clan, a brutal and violent family. By the 1500s, the O'Carrolls had control of Leap Castle, and the history of dark happenings began. The first O'Carroll to live in the castle died in its grounds from the plague. After his death, it continued to be passed on through sons. Fyrgenheim... I think I said that right. Fear, fear game. Oh, good old Celtic name. Very Celtic name, O'Carroll, <laughs> is said to have murdered a guest to the castle at the dinner table while his steward killed the guest's servant in the guardroom. He was then murdered himself in 1541. His son, Teague the One-Eyed. What a name. <laughs> right, the One-Eyed. <laughs> I wonder what that means. I, I'd hope it meant he had one eye. One good eye, maybe? I, I mean, then I could be the one eye, too. <laughs> uh, but he took control of Leap at that point, but was then killed by his own kinsman in 1554. Much of the same continued for quite some time. Teague was killed by Mulroney, Mulroney by John, John by Mulroney's cousin, the cousin killed by Charles. Charles was also killed after killing 150 of his own men. Wow. Yeah. Lots of death. In 1649, Leap Castle officially left the O'Carrolls and was given to the Darby family. The Darby line was far less violent than the O'Carrolls, though there was evidence that perhaps they were just better at hiding it. But we'll get to that later. Stories of how haunted Leap Castle was really began to circulate in the late 1800s when Jonathan and Mildred Darby lived in the castle. Under a pen name of Andrew Mary, Mildred actually released short stories and novels about the hauntings that occurred in the home. Jonathan and Mildred stayed in the castle until they were made to flood in 1922. Tensions had risen with their tenants and rent prices and several times those tensions led to escalations involving gunshots and windows and destroyed property. On Sunday, July 30th, 1922, 11 men broke into the castle and set it on fire. The castle remained in ruins until 1974 when an Australian man purchased the castle and began renovations. He continued these until he died in 1989, when musician Sean Ryan and his wife, Aunt Callanan, purchased the castle. Today, Sean and Anne still own and live in the home and have continued renovations. So let's get into the hauntings because there are a lot of them. We'll begin with the Bloody Chapel. During the O'Carroll rule in 1532, two brothers were fighting for power. One of these brothers was a priest. One day, the priest began mass in the chapel before his brother arrived, which was considered a great insult. This angered the other brother so much that he flew into a rage and murdered the priest on the spot. 
Since that day, people have reported seeing the spirit of the priest lurking in the chapel. Perhaps the more sinister part of the chapel, however, is the oubliette. The oubliette is a small chamber located in one corner of the chapel. Now, originally, this chamber was meant to store valuables or be used as a hiding spot during a siege. But the O'Carrolls, being as violent as they were, turned it into something far worse. They put spikes into the chamber and used it as a place to literally throw bodies, both alive and dead, to be impaled and, as the name suggests, forgotten. During a renovation Jonathan and Mildred Darby oversaw, the oubliette was found behind a wall, and inside they found human skeletons on wooden spikes. It actually took three cartloads full to clear the oubliette of all of its remains. We mentioned earlier that while the Darbys seemed peaceful, there was some evidence of violence. Well, upon taking things out of the oubliette, they found a small gold pocket watch from the mid-1800s. This meant it may have been used much more recently than the O'Carrolls. Ooh, new. <laughs> so, so that's what they mean. Skeletons in your oubliette. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> the old phrase. The, the phrase that everybody knows. <laughs> The Bloody Chapel is also known to have a strange glowing from its windows at all different hours. Even today, the Ryans get alerts from neighbors and passersbys that something is illuminated inside. One of the other hauntings in this location is known as the Priest's House. This area was burned down in the 1922 fire and has not yet been restored. But when the Darbys lived there, they reported that if one was to stay in any room in that area, something heavy would lie on the beds beside you. There were also reports there of seeing a large man in clothes like a medieval peasant pushing a barrel up the back stairwell toward the servant bath bedrooms. When he would get to the top, the barrel would fall and he would disappear. The spirit of a monk walking from window to window has also been reported to be seen from the grounds while looking up into the priest's house. Another known haunting in Leap Castle is that of the Red Woman. Oh, we get a Red Woman. <laughs> you know how we love a woman known only by her color. Iconic. <laughs> so this story also dates back to the O'Carrolls. It's said that this woman was captured and raped and she became pregnant. After giving birth, the O'Carrolls killed the baby and in despair, the woman then killed herself. Other stories say the O'Carrolls stabbed her themselves. She has been seen in the Blue Room, which is the area that has most typically been used as a nursery. A guest of the Darbys who was staying in the Blue Room had the following account. On the 31st of October, I went to my bedroom about 11pm. During the night, the time was 12.45am, as I subsequently saw by my watch, I felt that I was awakened by somebody in my room. It was pitch dark and at first I could see nothing. I was wide awake with an extraordinary cold feeling at my heart that rapidly increased in intensity. Almost immediately, I felt as much as saw that there was a tall figure in the middle of the room. My first impression was that O'Connell himself was there, as no other member of the household would correspond to the height. What is it, I asked. There was no answer, but now I could see. Dimly at first, and with increasing distinctness, that the tall figure was clothed from head to foot in red, and with its right hand raised menacingly in the air. To my utter astonishment, I could see that the light which illuminated the figure was from within, having very much the effect of the dark lantern used in a photographer's room. 
As the figure advanced toward me, the light increased, and I could see distinctly that the form was that of a very tall woman holding some sort of a weapon, knife or dagger in her hand. What is it? I asked again, adding, who is it? And then hurriedly struck a match and lit my candle. As the flame of the match and candle illuminated the room I looked all around, the room was empty. There are also reports of a ghostly woman with a red cloth over her face, who may or may not be the same spirit as the red woman. This spirit, on appearances, screams loudly before disappearing. No thank you. Yeah, that <laughs> don't need screaming. That's just, you're already haunting me. <laughs> Do you have to me. scream at me too? <laughs> Two young girls are also said to haunt the castle. Emily and Charlotte are the two spirits of girls who lived in the castle in the 1600s. Emily, at age 11, died after falling from the castle's battlements, and Charlotte was distraught. People have seen the two young girls playing in the main hall and running up and down stairwells. It is said to be Emily and Charlotte because Charlotte's spirit, just as she had in life, had a deformed leg. Others have also reported seeing a girl falling off the castle roof, but when they go to try to help, there's no trace of anyone around. Along with the two girls, people have also reported to see their governess or nanny. Finally, perhaps the most mysterious of all hauntings at Leap Castle is known as the Elemental. Elementals are mythological creatures associated with alchemy. There are four types, and they are associated with the four elements. So there's the gnome, who is earth, the undine, which is water, the sylph, who is air, and the salamander, which is fire. They're said to be somewhere between human and spirit, with humanoid bodies with the ability to move fluidly through their elements. Some believe that Leap Castle was built on Druid sacred land, and that the Druids themselves brought about the elemental to the area. Mildred Darby dabbled in the occult and practiced automatic writing, which some people believe awakened the elemental. Here is Mildred's own account of coming face to face with the elemental. Suddenly, two hands were laid on my shoulders. I turned round sharply and saw, as clearly as I see you now, a gray thing, standing a couple of feet from me with its bent arms raised as if it were cursing me. I cannot describe in words how utterly awful the thing was, its very undefinableness rendering the horrible shadow more gruesome. Human in shape, a little shorter than I am, I could just make out the shape of big black holes like great eyes and sharp features. But the whole figurehead, face, hands, and all was gray, unclean, bluish gray, something of the color and appearance of common cotton wool, but oh so sinister, repulsive, and devilish. My friends who are clever about the occult things say it's what they call an elemental. The thing was about the size of a sheep, thin, gaunt, and shadowy in parts. Its face was human, or to be more accurate, inhuman. In its vileness, with large holes of blackness for eyes, loose slobbery lips, and a thick saliva-dripping jaw, sloping back suddenly into its neck. Nose it had none, only spreading cancerous cavities, the whole face being a uniform tint of gray. This too was the color of the dark, coarse hair covering its head, neck, and body. Its forearms were thickly coated with the same hair, so were its paws, large, loose, and hand-shaped, and it sat on its hind legs, 
One hand or paw was raised, and a claw-like finger was extended, ready to scratch the paint. Its lusterless eyes, which seemed half decomposed and looked incredibly foul, stared into mine, and the horrible smell, which had before offended my nostrils only a hundred times intensified, came up to my face, filling me with a deadly nausea. I noticed the lower half of the creature was indefinite and seemed semi-transparent, at least. I could see the framework of the door that led to the gallery through its body. You can tell that Mildred was a writer. Very well said. <laughs> this yeah. reminds me of the time that my bike was stolen and I had to give a description of the guy because I saw him and I was down to the detail. <laughs> I was like, listen here. <laughs> so writers giving descriptions. Very Can't beat it. We love a thorough queen. <laughs> So another encounter with the elemental was also described by Mildred in a letter to a friend. So we're going to use her words again. She said, The last appearance of the elemental were on November 25th, 1915. And I deduct again last November from the gate of my husband, really wild with rage, fright, coming into my room at midnight to let fly at me for again dressing up things to try and frighten me. On the 25th of November, 1915, two of our servants, knowing the master would be late and that I was driving that afternoon, had invited friends, two soldiers from the barracks at Burr, about the other six miles. They came rather late and my husband came home early. So the visitors had to be kept out of sight in the lower regions of one of the wings, the priest's house, and were unable to be shown the center tower the very lofty hall. At 7.15, my husband and I went to dress for dinner, my room in extremity of house from kitchens, his dressing room next door to me. While dressing, I was startled by a loud yell of terror-stricken male and female voices coming apparently from the hall, and ran out to see the cause. My husband was out ahead of me, at his heels. I passed through the corridor of wing and onto the gallery wing, rounds two sides of the hall. Two lamps on gallery, two more in the hall below. On the gallery, leaning with hands resting on its rawl, I saw the thing, the elemental, and smelt it only too well. At the same moment, my husband pulled up sharply about ten feet from the thing, and half-turning let fly a volley of abuse at me, ending up dressing up a thing like that to try and make a fool of me, and now you'll say I've seen something and I've not, and I've not seen anything, and there's nothing to see or ever was. This last speech, without a pause, began waving one hand at the thing, end up by stalking thing up by stalking back to his dressing room, still abusing me for trying to give him a fright. As he was speaking, the elemental grew fainter and fainter in its outlines until it disappeared. By the sounds from my husband's room, I judged he was employed as I was myself in preparing an empty spot for our coming dinner. He never made any inquiry as to the yell that caused us both that called us both out, and from that day to this has not mentioned the incident to me. I heard from our servants that when we went to dress for dinner, they had brought their friends just to, just to show them the hall, when all four had suddenly seen and smelt the elemental looking down at them from the gallery. We got such a turn, we couldn't help letting out a ball, then ball, then fled to servants' quarters where all four were very sick. The two maids had letters necessity for their going home the next day, and they did not return. So, as you can tell, um, 
Jonathan Darby was not a super great dude. Yeah. <laughs> and he, like, he was very adamant that, like, he would not believe any of the things that were going on when he actually found out that his wife had penned these, like, short stories and novels. Mm-hmm. He was furious because... So, I mean, the way it sounds is how furious he was. He either genuinely didn't believe... Or he believed his wife was, like, making it happen. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Which speaks to some other things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So so he was, he, like, so that whole account of him seeing it with his own eyes and then, like, being so convinced, like, it was her that did it. Mm-hmm. it yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but even though we have the most encounters of the elemental with the Darbies, it didn't disappear with the Darbies. In 2002, a person who went to the castle for an investigation for a local TV show said this of their terrifying encounter. I traveled to Leap Castle in order to make a show for a local TV network, and this was my first time in the notorious castle I had heard so much about. So the show went well, but I wanted to try the UV on the camcorder while still shooting. I had sensed something down the old access to the battlements earlier and never went down. I climbed the stairs with the camcorder in front. The light from the UV allowed me to see about six feet ahead and no more, so I climbed slowly. I opened the gothic-style door and made my way slowly down the narrow passage about ten feet, and I thought I saw something move, and I lifted my head. I could feel something was wrong, but I had no idea what. This time, with the camera dropped, I thought I saw a glow come from around the corner, and then it went back in. I stood and studied this for a while, and thought it might be a side effect of the UV, which can be common. A few more steps, and my body was weakening fast. It was a strange sensation. Suddenly, this mass of white-like mist raced around the corner like a bull. Even the rubbish on the floor scattered as it approached at speed. The passage was tight, and I turned to my left to try and get out, but it was too late. I felt the pain as if something had just pierced under my right rib cage and went all the way through to my back. This startled me a little, and we proceeded to arrange shooting in the cellars. The audio refused to tape again in the cellars, and I felt really odd. I was sweating heavily and was becoming very weak and just drowned in dread. Right after the incident in the tunnel, it felt as if a hole in my chest had been punctured on a spiritual level, and my life was seeping into the stones. In order to describe it and let the reader understand, they would have to experience a large blood loss sometime in their lives. As they felt the blood drain, this weakness would become prominent. In other words, they were experiencing the onset of death. I was dying. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Another writer. Because that was... Yeah. Yeah. I know. And, and that is just... It's so vivid. Very vivid. So... Essentially, elementals are meant to be ancient, protecting spirits, but they are far from human and are not to be provoked. Doing so can cause unthinkable horrors. So if an elemental does live within the Leap Castle walls, it would be best to try to ignore it. Yes. And not make it mad. Yeah. Definitely (laughs) do not provoke the elemental. There's just so much going on at Leap Castle. (laughs) I know. Another castles, man. Why is it? What? I mean... 
I guess they're so old, old, they have so many stories, and especially this one, I mean, to have so much violence happen there, yeah. and and the fact that they believe it was on this, like, sacred druid land, so it brings up all of this kind of almost magic in a way. Yeah, so, the druids were, like, the early, in the early, like, Celtic religion, like, the priests, right? Like, yeah, were, essentially, like, yeah. Like, priests, right? So... So, so Druid land, like why, why do you think like that's significant if it was built on Druid land? Like it's where, like... Well, I mean, so Druids are pagan, and yeah. so there's a tie to the spiritual, to the magical, to, it, it's the same, I think it would be similar to people being like, you know, don't go into that circle of stones, you know, yeah. that same kind of mysterious and, and fantastic type of thing but mm -hmm. also beyond that they believe that the druids are the ones who kind of summoned the elemental okay so it's also tied specifically to like the druids summoned this elemental to protect their sacred mm -hmm. space and then a castle was built on top of it so it's still going to protect the land even though there's a castle yes on top. exactly it. yeah i was just i was curious about because from my understanding of druids is like they were the part like the top of this um um like they're uh, they had a religious function but they were like kind of like top of the class system right like they were the doctors they were the like yeah the, i the, mean the lawmakers every like they were kind of all encompassing of of those i was just i was just kind of curious about because when we say druid like i think of i think of dungeons and dragons like i think of a right. like almost like a wizard <laughs> well, well, yeah. I mean, there definitely is that type of of thing going on with druids. <laughs> they, I mean, in a lot of ancient culture, um, in a lot of ancient cultures, you know how, like, when when we think about like pre current religion, a lot of times their lives were very much enmeshed with mm -hmm. their beliefs and their mythology and all of that. So yeah. the Druids were kind of a priest-like class, yeah. but, um, but yes, but they also, you know, had that shaping their everyday lives. So yeah. there was a lot that went into that. Cause I was going to say, so there's, there's one, um, I, I think it's credited with, the early Celtic religions and Druid is the, um, the tradition of mistletoe. Oh, really? Well, I, the kissing under the mistletoe at Christmas time probably came much later, but the whole idea of like, I think mistletoe was like a fertility. Oh, thing. I mean, yeah, probably. it was like, it was an antidote to infertility. I mean, that makes sense. Like pretty much all of Christmas yeah. came from pagans, but <laughs> right. And it's, uh, I think most, it's uh, like Pliny, Pliny the Elder, Pliny. Yes, Am yeah, I right? yeah. Pliny I think the Elder. I think so. But, um, yeah. But I mean, this elemental thing is super interesting. Yeah, we got to get into that. I also was reminded when it said salamander, I was like, oh, like in Frozen Two, the, <laughs> the fire spirit is a yes, salamander. Yes, a salamander. And I never. And it said gnome. For Earth, for Earth, but they use like giants, like like rock right. giants, which I mean, which like no, so gnome is not like how we the would garden be, gnome. yeah, it's not like <laughs> that, like um, like a stone um, troll, yeah, like a like that, like in the same realm as as I think like trolls, as I even kind of think of um, ogres, 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, what what are they called? Um, in the Jewish tradition, um, golem, golem, yes, yeah. like like formed from clay. And it's so interesting because they talk about how it's like, well, they can move through their elements. So like gnomes in this can move through the castle castle because the castle is made of earth and then they say um sylph is is the most like a human because they move through air just as we do Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's so fascinating the way that it's tied to alchemy as Mm -hmm. well and we're touching on alchemy, so, I know. alchemy and castles, and I mean, I so think it's, much. It's because we're getting a lot of these legends from medieval times, right? And when this was a big thing, a bit, yeah. And so, I mean, it's it's fun to kind of explore. We spent so much in our haunted America tour talking about like spiritualism and the rise yeah. of the eighteen hundreds, and now we're seeing kind of like the peak of the occult was in the Middle Ages, right. or the Dark Ages, and we're, we're, we're just kind of seeing, like, well, the and trickle this, effects. I mean, this also touches on spiritualism, too, because yeah. Mildred was doing automatic like writing, writing. Yeah. and... We've not talked about automatic writing before, I don't think. You know, I don't think we have either, or at least not in detail. Um, automatic writing was definitely part of the spiritualism movement, and for anybody who's who's not familiar, automatic writing is this kind of... I guess, uh, practice that people would do when they were a spiritualist. And it was essentially, you're not writing. A spirit is writing Mm -hmm. through you. During like a seance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't just like happen. It's like another form of being like a medium or psychic. Mm -hmm. It's like one of the tools that a medium would use to get the words of the, Mm -hmm. the spirits or the spirit world. Um, so, but, but beyond that too, there were lots of people who would also do automatic writing during the night. So like they would wake up, but not wake up. Yeah. And do, and so like in the morning there was like automatic writing next to them on the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, supposedly, right? Like, right. like who knows what, how much of that was true. But... A dis- disclaimer, if you're looking into, um, I saw something about this, it was like automatic writing is not the same as free writing. Yeah. <laughs> So it's not just that. So you know. Just so you know. <laughs> we all did like free writing in school. Yeah. So it's like, that's not the same. That's automatic writing. No. But it's also called psychography, which I hadn't heard oh, before. Oh, I had never heard of yeah. that term either. So, but it, they call it, they kind of have clarified it as a psychic ability. Like, not right. everybody. Like, you're, it, it's essentially, it. if you can connect to the spirit world, that is one of the ways. Right. That they can speak through you if mm-hmm. you're like a medium or a psychic. But, I mean, spiritualism, it's a fascinating thing because Super. there was so much fraud. There was so much Speaking of, intrigue. Do you believe in psychics? We haven't talked about oh, that before. We haven't talked about that. I put you on the spot. Y- you did. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I feel like my answer is a little bit more complicated than just like a yes or no. We've got time. I, I, I do in some ways. I don't think I believe in, like, a psychic you could go to and they have one specific guide or they can, like, touch upon specific people and you can ask them a question and they can give you a specific answer. Like, I don't think I believe in that. But I definitely believe that there are people who are closer to the spirit world mm-hmm. and have a thinner veil if you will, so, if yeah. you will between those worlds and 
can get messages or some or things so okay like i don't i i, I don't believe in like that's so raven premonition sure you yeah. know um seeing into the future right yeah but mm. i do believe in intuition and i think mm. that those touch upon one another so yeah. like i think when i i have these memories i think maybe i've talked about this before when I was a kid, I used to have these really weird dreams that would be something super mundane, but then it would happen like the next day, like something really simple. Like, for example, my teacher asks me to pass out this certain homework or something, mm-hmm. like something very simple, but it it didn't feel so much like a premonition because it wasn't like a one-to-one thing, but there was this weird like intuition feeling, almost like deja vu, but with a little bit more than like, but with like knowing where the deja vu came from. Whereas like, sometimes you're like, this just feels familiar. But like, I was like, this feels familiar because, and so yeah, that's like a really complicated answer to that. Um, But I would say in, in it's like, most commercialized sense, no, yeah. but in a much more nuanced sense, yes. Mm-hmm. How about you? It's it's a it's a con- it's a conflicting answer for me. Like Long Island Medium, like, <laughs> lover, yeah. lover to bits, think she's incredible. But the fact that I think that she could be legit scares me a lot. That's fair, yeah. Um, just because I mean, like, not I mean to to bring like my faith and kind of beliefs into this, like. We're, we're warned about seeking out mediums and psychics in, in scripture. And I think it's it's not necessarily like they're evil people and you need to be afraid of them or scared yeah. of them. But it's like there's some things that like we just don't need to know about our futures. Like, yeah. And it's not about like not pl- – like you can plan for your future and make wise choices about your future. But there's things that like we don't – like we don't live our lives well when we yeah. know the future, you know? And so I don't know if there's like something poetic to that that sticks. But I kind of have the – I have the Albus Dumbledore, Professor Trelawney belief on psychics and mediums that some people have the ability and they not cannot necessarily control it. Yes. That it sometimes it yes. just happens and they're right. That That's kind of, I think, closer to what I buy into. Like, that's a Sybil Trelawney yes. point of view. Like, like when you seek it out, yeah. it's, it's less likely to be true, I think. She's, she's mostly bonkers, but occasionally she gets yeah, it right. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not saying, like, all mediums or psychics are bonkers, but I'm just saying, no, like... No, but, but, yeah, I think, I think anything that is, like, monetized, I think, quickly can become... Like, 1-800-California-psychics yes. kind of thing. Yeah. So that's where I stand on it, but... Anyway, all that being said, <laughs> I know that was a that was a divergence off of it, but I think it's it's I mean it, it connects because Mildred was certainly involved in all of this and some people believe that it's Mildred who woke up the elemental yeah, if she was from a, its mm-hmm. slumber and, and started to cause all of this because she dealt with mm-hmm. mediums and automatic writing and all of these things that were so popular during spiritualism. Yeah. And I, I think things like the that can become dormant over time and can be yeah. awakened by I, yeah. by prodding. 
kind of like I that. mean, I think so too. It's why we hear so much, and not just that, but we hear about places that are being renovated always getting spiritual activity during renovations mm-hmm. because things are being stirred, messed with. Yeah. And not only was she doing occult practices, but they were also renovating mm-hmm. at the exact same time. And opening up Yeah. The- the oubliette. Oubliette. I have never. Oh my gosh. I've never heard that word before. Oubliette. <laughs> and and that whole thing, like the even if we didn't talk about any of the other things, the O'Carroll's history is so violent. It's a miracle there's even humans at all. Like yeah, <laughs> just how it's violent so and crazy. Violent. And to be fair, like this particular clan was known, I guess, for, for being it. even more violent mm, and vicious. and then like. Because they were violent, they became even more paranoid as generations went on. And that's why, like, the mm. one guy killed his own men. And, you know, when when you're living in a family, an environment like that, I can see how it escalates very quickly. Absolutely. So. Which is hilarious, too, because now one of the major gift shops in Ireland is called O'Carroll's. Oh. I don't... Yeah. Yeah. I've shopped at one, I think, there. And and so I will never go into one of those stores again with the same... With the same impression. Yeah. (laughs) Because is it, like, the same... I mean, there to be fair, more... it may or may not be like the there's there's, there's a lot of people with the same Irish last names. Sure. You know, there's a Grogan's pub, and I don't necessarily know that I'm related to them. Descended all <laughs> like, from the same name, right? Yeah, interesting. But I think that could probably bring us to our verdict. Yeah, honestly, honestly haunted. haunted. <laughs> yeah, but well, I think when you get the elements involved, but like it's just how unbelievably unbelievably descriptive. Yes. Both of the accounts were from the from Mildred back in nineteen. And the per- it? It, in it was nineteen twenty two. No, so so Mildred was there from basically eighteen eighty nine to nineteen twenty two. So oh, sometime 19, okay. during during that. Got it. I mean, uh, yeah, how unbelievably descriptive she was about what she was experiencing. That she took time yeah. to talk about how distraught it had made her husband. Yes. I mean, whether or not he actually believed it, but he saw something. And he, he saw something he to the point where he was like abusive toward her yeah. about it. And then somebody else who came like a century yeah, later who had another really very, like wrenching experience. Yeah, and and I don't think like I think it, it makes it seem a little bit more scary than it is that these. I mean, it doesn't sound like she was doing anything disrespectful while she right. was in the poem. Mildred probably was dabbling in things that she shouldn't have yeah. been. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, but... this person was there for paranormal investigations. So they were also so probably poking doing... and prodding. Um, yeah. I, I also, like, I feel like I will be hard-pressed to not say something in Ireland is haunted, yeah. <laughs> if only because there are so many places I have been there where you feel very connected to the past, whether, and, and again, this is where that, like, question of what the word haunted means comes up, because, like, I don't necessarily always mean, like, oh, I'm gonna see a ghost pop up, but you're just so connected to the past, because there's so much history, and there's Mm -hmm. so much that still exists from so much longer ago than there is here in the States, and, and then on top of that, when you tie in now elements, there's also just, uh, like, these ruins literally invite nature into these homes and, and there ain't and nothing older than nature so. exactly <laughs> and so you tie all of those things together and there's like 
I just, I just feel like you, you feel the history there mm-hmm. one way or another. Yeah, it's almost like being in places like that, like help you feel like in a positive way, like reduce you. Like you feel yes. like I feel, you I am, feel small. I'm such a tiny little piece of this, piece of yeah. this magnificent, huge puzzle of history, and yeah. so you can't, you can't help but feel. The magnitude, yeah, and it's it's heavy and it's significant. So I think any time that you're in a situation like that, it's gonna have some sort of spiritual response. Yeah, Um, and if you want to call that your soul, if you want to call that any, I mean, I would I would call it soul. I'll also admit that like I also have ties to Ireland too, and so that potentially even biases me more because Mm -hmm. it's not even just history on its own but it's also that like I see pieces of my past woven into that history there and yeah it's man definitely on the list for next time oh my gosh yes I want to go so bad interesting but I don't really want to meet an elemental I don't either (laughs) um I would yeah I would like to not because it doesn't seem like they're super nice that one would be on our list of we don't engage we just observe yeah exactly <laughs> that's on our I would go and not provoke but see what I feel and see <laughs> well we're gonna go observe and not engage <laughs> with something else and we'll be back with more honestly haunted Thank you, as always, for listening to Honestly Haunted. Please follow us on social media at Honestly Haunted and consider becoming a Patreon supporter to help us continue to grow. If you haven't already, leave us a five-star review. We'll be back with more Honestly Haunted. What about Steve?